morning. It's uh, great to be here. Just been thinking this morning that um, <clears throat> we have uh, just incredible people in this church. Just absolutely amazing people. Faithful, humble, don't know where they get it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just, uh, I just realized this morning again, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody with uh, helping out with Show Funky. I just think, oh, this is an amazing worship team every Sunday. It's just amazing people. And so I just realize, <laughs> yes, let's give them a hand. So, so from my side and Sonica's side, we just want to thank you, all of you for, for just being amazing people, um, for your faithfulness and your loyalty and Oh, just realized this morning again, I don't deserve this. <laughs> this is just so amazing. What an honor. What an honor to lead you and to be part of this, to be part of this church. So, uh, yeah, so I want to I share with you this morning something that's really on my heart, really my passion. It's revive, revival. Where's my first one? There is it. It's... Uh, I don't know if it bugs you, you know, but there, there are many things that, that bugs me. When I look at life or society and I look at this country, um, things that bug me, like over the years, you know, we've been here now for, say, six years, my wife and I, and I've seen people come into the church and uh, be here for a while and leave the church, and then I see just the destruction in people's lives. I just see things unraveling on a personal level, on a marital level, it, it's just, it, it, it upsets me, <laughs> in a good way, I think. It, it, it tells me, it's like, God, how, how can we change things? How can we move forward that not one person would come into this house or come into contact with us and leave unchanged? How, how can we do things? How can we position ourselves so that not one person would remain unchanged? And we look at this country, we look at the things in society, there's so many things that I, th- I think, you know, needs to change. And I'm sure we can make a list right now, a list of everything you'd like to change in this nation. Anybody that would like to make a list? Yes. We would like to make a list of things we would like to change. And then the question is, how do we change it? How do we, how can it change and how do we change it? Should we just be overwhelmed? Should we be upset? Should we be depressed? Should we give up? Should we just wait for the rapture? Jesus, take us home. And uh, in this week, I saw this quote from Daniel Kalenda. So when I put it on the screen, and it so spoke to me. He said, the greatest danger the world faces is not radical Islam, but nominal Christianity. So radical Islam is a challenge at this stage in the world. It seems as if it's getting worse and worse. It can upset you. And think, how are we going to stop it? How are we going to change it? But so in the same way, we can make lists of other issues in the society, in East London, on every level, all these issues. And that can overwhelm us. But those issues, are, it's not the issue. Islam is not the issue. Uh, moral depravity is not the issue. Those things, that's not the issue. The issue is nominal Christianity. 
The issue is the church. The issue is the bride of Christ. You see, it's, the issue isn't moral depravity in the world out there. The issue is moral depravity within the church. It's we are becoming like the world. It seems like the church on a national and global level, it, it's on, in certain sections of the church, are, it's backsliding. It's falling away. It's moving, becoming more like the world and less able to change anything. So nominal just basically means it's small, it's insignificant, it can't change anything. It's um, Christian in name, but not Christian in reality. And so then you ask yourself, how can this change? How can we change this? And the answer is revival. And you think, what is revival? <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that over this, these two months. I want to just lay a foundation this morning. I want to, you know, we're going to dive into our personal revival, but we're going to take it step by step. Because I know for some of us, it's a, it's a big jump. It's a big step. But we need a revival. We need an awakening. And we see it over the ages. I've been reading some history about just a revival since the 1500s. There have been four major revivals that has transformed cities and nations and regions. And I feel in my heart the Lord is telling me he's wanting to bring revival. He's wanting to bring an awakening amongst his children, because it starts with us, the church. You see, revival begins with you and me. Revival doesn't begin out there. Revival begins with you and me, where God comes and, and do, does something on the inside of us. So the Lord wants to revive you. He wants to revive me. He wants to awaken us to, to his amazing love, to his goodness, his kindness. But revival, it, it, it pushes back, you know, when... when, when Darkness seems to be overwhelming like a flood. A revival turns the tide. It pushes it back. A revival sets a new standard again. A revival causes hearts that were, you know, cold and dark. It causes to come alive again. A revival causes the church to believe again. A revival impacts us where we begin to believe and begin to follow Jesus. And I said, it's for me, it's like this, I've got this thing on the inside of me continuously. You know, God, there's more. There, there is more. And, and, and this, I've, I have this hunger on the inside. And I believe this is what God is saying. He wants to bring a revival. And that's what I felt over this holiday. The Lord spoke to me and he said, pursue revival. So that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm going to speak about this. And my prayer is that the word of God, like a seed, would drop into your heart and you will start believing as well. That you will start expecting it as well. That you will start seeing yourself the way God sees you. That you would, instead of just being I'm an ordinary nobody, start seeing yourself in the light of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I know some of us are battling with our hope levels. Our hope levels are not so high, some of us. Some of us are going through challenges, things that you feel you can't overcome. But there, there's no hopeless situation. There are only hopeless people. When you meet the God of hope, you find hope for your situation, and it can turn around. So I'm trusting that our hope levels are going to increase as well. But, uh, yeah, so the Lord is he's working in me, and I'm praying that that's the same hunger that he has put in me that I'm trusting is going to grow even more in me that it's going to come upon you. A hunger and a thirst for more. Okay. 
Let's say it. I want to be hungry for Jesus. <laughs> you need to be, because it starts. Revival begins with a hunger and a thirst. If you, I'm going to read to you over these next few weeks as well some stories of revivals and the encounters that men and women of God had and how it turned things around. But it begins with you and me and our situation in our lives. Okay, so revival counteracts nominal Christianity. And uh, I want to read to you a, a prophecy by Smith Wigglesworth. Uh, he was a very powerful man of God. In 1939, there's a quote from one of his things. He said, dare to believe, then command. Come to a place of faith and then command things to change. But he said, and this sort of, I think, defines what revival could look like. Okay. He said in 1939, Smith Wigglesworth prophesied to Lester Sumrall about the final wave of God's glory. He said, after that, after the third wave, he started sobbing. I see the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. The ministry gifts will be flowing on this planet Earth. I see hospitals being emptied out, and they will bring the sick to churches where they, where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. I so want to see all the doctors without work. That's so my heart, you know. I just want to have them no work to do. That would be so awesome. Just imagine, doctors, how wonderful it will be, eh? They pay your salary, but you just sit on the beach because everyone is healed. That would just be epic. But I want to I hold this before you. This is what God, I believe God is saying. There is a massive worldwide revival coming. It will be beyond anything the nations have ever seen, ever experienced. And I'm putting up my hand saying, Jesus, I want to be part of that. Please, I want to be part of that. I want East London to be part of it. I want the whole church of East London to be part of it. And we can be catalysts. It begins, small steps, small things, but it begins with a hunger. It begins with a thirst. It begins with a prayer, a daily prayer. God, we want more of you. God, we want more of you. Revival starts with me and you. So are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with your current experience of God. Are you, are you satisfied? Is this it? Because I am not. I am not satisfied. I am not wanting to sit on this level. I'm way beyond I've ever, ever, ever been. Praise Jesus. But I sense there is more. And my prayer is that this will stir in your heart. One word from God, one seed planted in your heart, in a willing, hungry heart, it will transform you, and it can transform those around you. So I want to read a story. Uh, the guy's name is Evan Roberts. Evan Roberts, he was part of the Great Welsh Revival in 1904 to 1906. There's a quote from him. It says, it will not do for us to go to heaven by ourselves. We must be on fire, friends, for saving others. To be workers will draw heaven down and will draw others to heaven. To be workers will draw heaven down and will draw others to heaven. So I want you to hear his heart. 
These, these are men who've, who've initiated massive revival. To give you some background, during this time, 1904 to 1906, more than 100,000 souls were saved. And a complete transformation of a nation took place, of Wales. But even more significant was the fact that this move of God sparked the Azusa Street Revival. It was a revival also beginning 1900s in California that has since gone all over the world. With Azusa Street, the, the, the Pentecostal charismatic revival began which is now more than 600 million people across the face of the earth who, have, who has embraced the Holy Spirit. Beginning 1900s was the restoration where God the Holy Spirit was welcomed back in church. Before that, it was like God the Father, Jesus, but Holy Spirit, no. And so it all started. It says, even, this, even Roberts had a series of unusual experiences with God, including a number of face-to-face encounters. An interview with him It's quoted in this book written in 1905, and he says, For a long, long time I was much troubled in my soul and my heart by thinking over the failure of Christianity. But that night, after I had been in great distress praying about this, I went to sleep, and at 1 a.m. in the morning, suddenly I was wakened up and found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the very presence of the Almighty God. And for the space of four hours, I was privileged to speak face-to-face with Him, as a man speaks face-to-face with a friend. At 5 a.m., it seemed to me as if I again returned to earth. And it was not only that morning, but every morning for three to four months. He had the same experience for three to four months. I felt it. And it seemed to change all my nature. This is what I focus on. He said, I felt it, and it seemed to change all my nature. Have you sometimes felt that you need a change? Every now and again I feel, God, I, am, I so need more of your love. I so need more of you. I so need a transformation in me to give me the capacity to do, to love, to live as you want me to. But even Robert says this face-to-face encounter with God, it says there, it seemed to change all my nature. I saw things in a different light and I knew that God was going to work in the land. And not in this land only, but in all the world. Isn't that amazing? One man had an encounter with God face to face. It changed him and it opened the way for massive revival. A hundred thousand people came to Christ in three years and it kickstarted a movement that is now encompassing more than 600 million people across the earth. That encourages me. Wouldn't you want to see Jesus transform East London? The Eastern Cape. I think the Eastern Cape has incredible potential. Imagine a revival in the Eastern Cape. Imagine God saving 100,000 people. Why not? Why not? Something that God wants to do, and he starts with just one of us. One of us. Another one, catching fire. Another one, getting hungry. Another one, coming to a place of faith. And so God wants, and this is part of Revive, is 
part of the revival is where you and I, where the Lord stirs something on the inside of us. And even as even Roberts, he was praying, he had this prayer, God, this is, there must be more. There must be more. And so there's a, a good example of, of a man like that in the, in the, in the scriptures, Moses. He, everybody else is running away from God, but Moses ran to God. He had this desire to know the living God. And then God, Moses had this face-to-face encounter with God on the mountain. I've spoken about this before, but just coming back to it, he spoke to God face-to-face, and then he, he cries out, he says, God, show me your glory. Let me, let me read this to you. This is so, but this is in the line, in the line with, with what we're sharing about. Verse 17, Exodus 33, verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, unmerited favor. I know you by name. God saying to Moses, Moses, I know you. I know you. Moses was God's friend. I want to be God's friend. I believe we can be God's friend. And verse 18 says, and he said, this is Moses, please show me your glory. So, the, the, so Moses is closer to God than anybody else in the history of the world. Maybe Adam in the garden, I don't know, but after that. So he's on the mountain, he's got, and he's speaking to God, he's hearing his voice, he's speaking to God, and, he's, and, and he wants more. And he says, God, show me your glory. I want to know you. I've seen your power. I've seen your miracles. I've seen everything you've done. I've heard your voice, but I want to see your glory. I want to know you. I want to know you. There are so many people that know about God, but they don't know him. Don't know him. Now, I want to know him better. I want to know more of him. And so amazingly, in verse 19, then he said, God speaking, and this is fascinating, the response, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious. I will be compassionate. So, so Moses is saying, God, I want to know you. What does God say? I'm going to let all my goodness pass by you. God was saying, if you want to know me, Know that I am good. I am good. I'm a good God. That's what Jesus came to reveal. The people were confused about who God the Father is. Then Jesus came, God in the flesh, and he revealed that our God is a good God. He isn't angry. He doesn't want to kill people. He wants to heal them and save them and feed them. He wants to bless them. He's a good God. And I believe the Lord is saying to me that the goodness of God is the foundation of revival. That is on, on, upon which you must build the goodness of God. Not an angry God. Not an angry God, but a good God. This is what God said. If you want to know me, know that I am good. I am incredibly good. Despite your, your experience, despite what, what's happened in your life, despite things that you feel it, it didn't work out, it's, oh God, where are you? He is good. And if we would embrace that and believe it, it would transform us, how we relate to him. He is good. And we need to know that he is incredibly good. You see, because God is good, it is natural for us to desire him. I desire him. 
I desire him. With everything within me, I desire him. I want to know him. I want him to manifest his glory. I want, him, I want to see him. I want to hear his voice. I want everybody to know him. But you need to hunger on the inside for him. With everything within you. He is good. He is so good. He is good. So think of the most incredible earthly experiences you can have. All put together in one. Imagine the best gourmet food in the whole world on the beach. And surfing your dream wave. And experiencing this gorgeous nature scene. Wind still, tropical beach. And having the coolest technology ever capturing this right now. HD movie. Capturing this moment. And experiencing a heart-melting romance with the person of your dreams. And experiencing mind-blowing sex with your marriage partner. (laughs) That's my job. And achieving the most exhilarating victory in the sports world. And winning the UK lottery. Pounds. And for the ladies, a massive mall, 100 meters off the beach. (laughs) All together in one. Knowing him is more. Knowing him is more. Why? Because the scripture says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Not just for a moment, but for eternity. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is no limit to his resources. There is no end to his love. The designer, the creator of everything, the one who made beauty. That's him. The one who's the lover of our souls. Jesus, who uh, went to the cross And got everything we deserved. And opened the way for us so we can have everything he deserved. We got what Jesus deserved. Perfection. Obedience. Holiness. Righteousness. That's Jesus. And yet he gives it to us. As he took all of our rubbish upon him on the cross. That is love. Nothing compares to that love. He is good. The lover of our souls. You see, but if you realize how good he is, you will desire him. You will desire him. You will desire him. Let's say it. He is good. He is incredibly good. And so we see the stories of people across the ages. Another one, I want to read this to you as well. John G. Lake. I've shared about him before, but I'm every week going to share a few stories about people who encountered God. John G. Lake. Picture... Or quote there. Next one slide. There, there's a quote just before that. One up. There we are. John G. Lake said, We are awakening to that marvelous truth that Christ is not in the heavens only, nor the atmosphere only, but Christ is in you. So he, he, this truth became a reality to him. He knew that Christ lives on the inside of us. And if he lives on the inside of us, then surely we are the body of Christ. And then surely we will live as Jesus lived. And we will do what he did. And we will love as he loved because he lives on the inside of us. So, and and to, to share with you, John G. Lake 
he shares his story. He says, and he is incredibly hungry for God. He was seeking the Lord, if you read the whole story. And then he says, one afternoon that autumn, a fellow minister asked Lake to accompany him, this is the beginning, early 1900s, to accompany him to the home of a woman who had requested prayers for healing. For 10 years, this woman had been in, in a wheelchair because of inflammatory rheumatism. As his friend spoke with a lady to prepare her for prayer, Lake sat across the large room in a low chair, and there he had a powerful encounter with God. He says, my soul was crying out to God in a yearning to deep for words. When suddenly it seemed to me that I had passed under a shower of warm tropical rain, which was not falling upon me, but through me. My spirit and soul and body under this influence was soothed into such a deep, still calm as I had never known. My brain, which had always been so active, became perfectly still. And awe of the presence of God settled over me. I knew it was God. Some moments passed. I do not know how many. The Spirit said, I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. You are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then currents of power began to rush through my being. From the crown of my head to the soles of my feet, the shocks of power increased in rapidity and voltage. As these currents of power would pass through me, they seemed to come upon my head, rush through my body, and through my feet into the floor. The power was so great that my body began to vibrate intensely, so that I believe if I had not been sitting in such a deep low chair, I might have fallen upon the floor. At that point, his friend, not noticing the state he was in, invited Lake to come to help him pray. Lake could hardly walk. He was trembling so violently. While his friend continued to kneel down in front of the woman's wheelchair, Lake simply touched her head lightly so as not to jar her with his trembling. And he felt currents of holy power passing through his body. He knew she felt it too, even though she didn't say anything. Now, you might think, is that biblical, you know, currents of power? A good example would be Jesus amongst the crowd, and a woman with a flow of blood came from behind and touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus said he felt power leave him, and she was instantly healed. So I believe there is a biblical uh, reference for it. Continuing the story, my friend who had been talking to her in his great earnestness had been kneeling as he talked to her. He arose saying, let us pray that the Lord will now heal you. As he did so, he took her by the hand. At the instant their hands touched, a flash of dynamic power went through my person, through the sick woman. As my friend held her hand, the shock of power went through her into him. The rush of power into his person was so great that it caused him to fall on the floor. Now again, you might think, where is that biblical reference? Well, I'm thinking of Jesus in the book of John, I think, just before he was crucified, he was in Gethsemane. The soldiers came to, to take him, and then they weren't sure who's Jesus. So they said, who's, who, which one of you is Jesus? And then Jesus said, I am. And it says, when he said, I am, all the soldiers fell down on the ground as power was released from him. So I believe there's a biblical reference for that as well. Continue, continuing the story. He looked at me with joy and surprise and springing to his feet, he said, praise the Lord, John. Jesus has baptized you in the Holy Ghost. So that should be the true test for being baptized in the Holy Ghost. 
Then he says, then he took the crippled hand that had been set for so many years. The clenched hands opened. The joints began to work. First the fingers, then the hand and the wrist, then the elbow and the shoulder. And I'm thinking of when we were in Mumbai last year, we had a healing conference. And one of the people that came forward is a 26-year-old man. He's since birth not been able to move some of the fingers on his hand. And uh, we prayed for him and he came in front of everyone showed us his fingers are working first time since birth. Jesus still heals. Jesus still heals. Now he's continuing the story. Lake himself was thrilled at the inexpressible peace and joy that flooded his inner being. He felt that truly the Spirit had imparted to him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John chapter 4. God's love poured through him. He saw people as lost sheep, and the passionate desire of his soul became the proclamation of the salvation message of Jesus, accompanied by powerful healing and blessing. And again it says here, Lake's life was forever changed after one encounter with God. It says his life was forever changed. He experienced a personal revival. And he became a walking revival. Everywhere he went, revival was released. It says that he left the business world to pursue the lifestyle of signs and wonders from which came one of the most notable healing ministries the world has ever known. After pastoring a church in America for a short time, he moved to South Africa in 1908. Where in a period of five years, he planted 625 churches, raised up a 1,250 local pastors, saw one million people converted to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. And then he moved back to, uh, to the U.S. later. He opened healing rooms in two places. And the one place specifically in Spokane, Washington, it was declared the healthiest city in the United States after 100,000 verifiable healings had occurred over a five-year period. People traveled from far and wide to receive God's touch in one of the healing rooms. One man had an encounter had a personal revival, changed him forever. He was transformed. Even as with even Roberts, he was transformed. If you are indifferent to the things of God, if you are indifferent, you need a revival. If you are not passionately in, in love with Jesus, you need a revival. You need an awakening. You are missing out on the ultimate the ultimate thing that, this, that you can have in this life. So the result of all of this is a hunger for more. We need to hunger for more. Wherever you are at, maybe you are not like, I'm not thinking cities or, oh, I'm just thinking, just get out of my hole. You know, just like, I just want to get out of this, out of the gutter. Then that's fine. Put that as your goal. Lord, I want to get out of this place. I want to get out of this despair. I want to get out of this hopelessness. I want to, I want to take that next step into knowing you, because I know that is the answer to breaking out. But revival, true revival, is pursuing something that you cannot achieve ever in your ability. It is something supernatural that God must do. And I believe God is saying, aim for that place. Be hungry for that more. So, and the result of this hunger, you become like an athlete like an Olympic athlete, you're going, you know, four years from now is the Olympics. So you live differently, you eat differently, you sleep differently. Everything is different. You don't live like an ordinary person. Why? Because you're, you, you have your vision, you have your reward, you have your goal. This is, I want to know him. 
I want to see him. And if nothing makes sense this morning, I'm just trusting for something to settle in your heart. You say, God, I need more of you. So that's the one thing, hungry. But what I now realize is when you get really, really hungry for more of God, it can also lead to massive frustration. Massive frustration because you're seeing this, but you over, the, over here, you're like not in good space. It's not happening. So you actually can lose faith and, and, uh, and give up. So what is the key? Hungry, but thankful. Hungry, but thankful. Hungry for more. God, I know there's more. I am so hungry for what you want to do. But I am so thankful for everything you have done. And I'm so thankful for everything you are doing. You are so good. And I think this sometimes we also miss the boat. We, we pursue the more, but we forget the moment. And I've, I've been experiencing this the past while. It's like I'm so on a mission that my head is in different places and I, I'm at home, but, you know, my, my son wants to play with me, but I'm, I'm not at home. <laughs> I'm not home. I'm somewhere else. I'm at home, but I'm not at home. And I, and I, and I realize that you know, when we pursue in any area of our lives, if we pursue something, we can miss the moment if we are not thankful. You see, Thanksgiving gives us eyes to see the goodness of God. Let me say that again. That's a good point to write down. Thanksgiving gives us eyes to see the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is the foundation for revival. So when you become thankful, when you start focusing on the good things, everything God is doing, it's like it changes your positioning. For instance... The goodness of God is the foundation upon which we stand. So if we are not thankful, we have nothing that we're standing on, yet we are gunning for something further. We will never reach any further. We will never make the goal. We will never achieve the will of God because we don't have a foundation upon which we're standing. So we need to have eyes to see the goodness of God. Do you know that our human nature, we tend to not see the goodness of God? We tend to focus on what's not working. And what's wrong? We have a husband, or we have a wife, or we have this and that, and all we see is everything that's wrong. But it's only a few small things, actually. But we tend to focus on the bad, the wrong, and it kills us. It disconnects us from God. It causes us to stand on shifting, shaky sand. Thanksgiving gives us eyes to see the goodness of God. So David is an example of this. So we are hungry. We desire more of God. We want to move forward. We want to we see the will of God happen. We want to see revival. We want to see our families transformed. We want to see our marriages whole. We want to see all these things. We are hungry for it. But we are so thankful for where God has brought us to. How thankful are you? How thankful are we? I'm thinking like sometimes, you know, just on a national level, we get so negative about Jacob Zuma. He's such a horrible president. I'm saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that he's not a crazy, murderous guy that wants to kill all the Christians in the nation. He's just an immoral man, harmless. 
Some other guys, I'm thinking, Jesus, please don't make them president. But it's amazing how we, we focus on the wrong, and that disconnects us from God. We must, and, and one of the tricks is you need to position, in, in terms of thanksgiving, you need to ask yourself, what could have been? What could have been? So a, a revivalist or someone that initiates revival in their environment needs to live in two dimensions. The one dimension is I am drawn forward by what God wants to do. He has spoken to me and, and I'm, I'm going for it. I want more of you, God. But, but secondly, the another dimension, you need to be present. You need to see what God is doing right now and you need to value it and celebrate it and praise him for it. And so King David gives us the solution. He was like a revivalist. He was a worshiper. He had a, a love for the presence of God. King David brought back the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the manifest presence of God to Jerusalem. And then in Psalm 105, as they were doing that, he told everybody, guys, I want you to sing this. He created an environment, a culture of faith, a culture of thanksgiving that would facilitate the presence of God. So Psalm 105, verse 1 to 7, 1 to 5, it just says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. In other words, be hungry for him, but be thankful. Make known his deeds. Talk about what he is doing. Among the people, sing to him. Again, desire him, hunger for him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works and tell everybody what he has done. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. So again, hunger for him. Seek him. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Remember. Do you see the two aspects? The one is hunger for him. The other aspect is be thankful. Seek him, but remember what he has done. And seek him some more. <laughs> and remember what he has done. Those two dimensions must be part of our lives, a natural part of our lives. I'm seeing where we're going, but yo, I'm so thankful. Not, not frustrated. I'm so thankful for what God is doing. Are we seeing all the good things? Are we seeing it? So thankful for what? So the first thing is build that foundation for revival, thanksgiving. Make a list. Some of us actually need to go make a list this week and hold it before you. Put it on your fridge. And every morning you get up and say, I have a job. I hate my boss, but I have a job. <laughs> Rather not say I hate your boss, but uh, not good for the heart. But uh, make a list of things that you can be thankful for. Let it, let it soak in. Build a foundation upon which you can stand. Build that foundation upon which you can stand. Thanksgiving. And thankful for what? As I said, with what, what, how bad could it have been? It's a good question to ask yourself. Well, how bad could it have been? Well, my husband's only hitting me one time a week. Could have been worse. No, no, no that's not a good joke. <laughs> no, no, if your husband is beating you, get out of the house. Get out of the house. But thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of the keys to be present 
and to have eyes to see the goodness of God. I heard this week, I mean, there's some, it's just amazing that you, we can, in our, in our current situation, find so many things wrong. And the moment you hear someone else's story, you realize, what the heck am I complaining about? Ever experienced that? Yeah, I've experienced that. I mean, in this week, there was a lady, a uh, 32-week-old baby um, in the womb, uh, died. You know, no, that's a crisis. That's something to be upset about. But even in that, there's some, some, something to be thankful for. Then I heard of another story, friends of ours, family members of them, the lady, she lives there in the Saldana area on the west, western Cape, or the west coast. She uh, was driving in her car. She's a five-year-old child's boy and a six-year-old boy, driving in the car Friday afternoon. There's no one on the road. Everything's fine, wonderful. Suddenly she looks in the mirror and she sees two guys, drunk drivers, dicing one another from behind, coming at 200 kilometers per hour, and they hit her. And her five-year-old boy dies. So how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you recover from that? How do you forgive when something like that happens? How do you find comfort after you've gone through something like that? Jesus. Only Jesus pulls you out of that. Only Jesus can comfort you, and only Jesus can help you to forgive. But I tell you, when I hear that story, I am thankful. Even last night, the night before, I was in Cape Town this week, and Friday night, just standing, my boy just lying in bed. I was just standing, I'm just, just, I'll die for this. I'll die for him. I'm so thankful, Jesus. There's so much to be thankful for, but you need to build a foundation upon which you can stand. It changes your circumstances in a moment. Thankfulness, thanksgiving. And God needs to, we need a culture in our midst, a culture of thanksgiving. We choose to be thankful, not complain. We choose to celebrate what God is doing. We talk about, I mean, over the last few years, we had some challenges. Um, I've, I go to, to Cape Town once a term, to, and we have some meetings, and there were quite a few challenges and crises. And I just decided this is such a distraction. So I just thought, every time I go, I tell all my pastor friends, I'm just telling them, but this person, this is what happened. In life. They came to Jesus. Oh, it's amazing. And this is how God healed this one. And this is amazing thing happened. I just decided, I'm just going to share stories of the goodness of God. And it so guarded my heart, kept me on track, kept me focused. Otherwise, you want to you cry. You just want to give up and run away. So how's your Thanksgiving? What are you talking about? Talking about the love of God? Talking about all the good things? Guys, do you value your wife? Do you value the blessing of God that he has blessed you with. Because I tell you, life happens and we sort of look past and we miss it. Ladies, do you appreciate your husband? Do you value? Do we? We need to. It will change us. It will change us. It will cause us to worship God with much rejoicing. Thanksgiving. So this is my challenge for you this week. Go and make a list Make a list. And then just to end off with this, just another, another aspect of thanksgiving. And I'll build on this next week as we continue. 
In this life, we will have challenges. Are we agreed? We will have challenges. Sometimes things don't make sense. The big fallback, the big anchor that you and I can have in this life, no matter what life throws at us, is I know him. My name is written in the book of life. Doesn't matter what this life throws at me, I have an eternal hope. I am anchored in him. Do you have that assurance? Because that again is, the, that is enough to worship Jesus about. Thinking of an eternity separated from him, an eternity away from him, an eternity in torment. I can worship Jesus for that. I still don't know how I got saved. It's a miracle. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Are you thankful for what Jesus has done in your life? Because everything else can go wrong. But if you know that my name is written in the book of life and no one can remove my name from it. Yes, I can walk away from Jesus and it will be removed. But no one can take that away from me or you if you have surrendered your life to him. That is our eternal anchor. So we can risk. We are safe. We can step out. We can go on an adventure for revival. We can step out, make a fool of ourselves because we know we're secure in the love of the Father. We can go for it. And I've read the end chapter. Have you read the last chapter in the book? We win. Come on. We win. Even if I do nothing for the rest of my life, nothing and no one can stop the kingdom of God from coming across this earth. Because he has spoken it and it shall be. Anchored in him. Anchored in his faithfulness. Anchored in his promise. That must be where we stand. That is the foundation upon which we stand. Is your future secure? Is your future secure? I want to just read a few things that I felt last night just that the Lord wants to touch on this morning in some of our lives. So to summarize, let's get hungry. There's more. There's more. Let's get hungry for more. Let's trust God for an encounter with him. Let's become like those athletes that train for the Olympics. I'm training for the Olympics. I want to finish this mission. You can as well. Let's do it. So let's be hungry, but let's be thankful. Let's celebrate one another. Let's, let's value friends. Let's value our family. Let's value what we have. Let's be joyful, thankful people. Amen.